Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is Inside Columbia with Fred Berry. Ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And good morning and welcome to this week's edition of the CEO Roundtable. Glad to be with you this morning. We are very honored to have right here in the Eagle Studios uh, the Sheriff of Boone County, Dwayne Carey. Good morning, Sheriff. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Great to have you with us. And uh, you have been a busy man. Uh, You have recently received some very important accreditation for your department. Right. And uh, plus, you know, dealing with all the other things that take place uh, uh, with uh, crime and and, uh, law enforcement uh, here in Boone County and... uh, uh, and in the midst of co- in, in the midst of COVID too, so that's a, a big deal. But the last time we had you as a guest on the program, you were in the studio with Columbia Police Chief Jeff Jones, right? And we were talking a little bit about uh, some of the criminal activity that was taking place in and around Boone County. So I was hoping that maybe you know three or four months later you could give us an update on just how things are looking. Have things changed in the last three or four months? Well. You know, um, violent crime's been down a little bit since the beginning of the month of July. Um, you know, what we're seeing a spike. In fact, you know, Jeff and I still communicate a lot. Um, we're both seeing a lot of larcenies from vehicles. Um, in fact, I think the city's even doing kind of a public service thing to where they're telling people, make sure you lock your cars. Yeah. Um, they're seeing a few more auto thefts than we're seeing, but we're both having that problem with people leaving their vehicles unlocked unattended you know while keys are in the car and so again theft from vehicles auto theft um is that an economic issue i mean is that something is that does that tell you that maybe uh things are not people are not doing as well economically as they once were well we could reach there but what we always say is when kids are out of school and so usually in the summertime, you know, usually it's from, you know, late May to early August, we see that spike. Um, so it's idle because, time. Yeah. Because I mean, a lot of kids are out. They're not being supervised. Yeah. Um, they kind of running amok. And so we'll always see that spike. So it's hard for us to attribute that to the economic issues as it relates to COVID and just kids being out of school, uh, you know, doing what they do. Yeah. Very interesting. So uh, you really haven't seen, uh, outside of larceny, and, and I guess you're probably surprised at the number of people who leave their cars unlocked with their car keys in it in their driveways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> or even parked on the street or apartment oh. complexes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we both, uh, we see that in the city and in the county. Um, and so, you know, it's imperative that people lock their stuff up. I mean, you know, I don't think it's to this extent, but I can remember when I was a kid, you know, we didn't even lock the door to the house, yeah. you know, and yeah. so uh, I think that's changed just in in the current times. But, yeah, uh, people just need to make sure they're securing house, vehicles, yeah. property. So it's uh, what what is the recovery rate on a stolen vehicle here in Boone County? I mean, how, how typical is it that people get the car back? You know, I wouldn't know the percentage uh, off the top of my head. You know, it's gonna it's gonna be relatively low, um, mm. but not bad. You know, because we have um, license plate readers yeah. on patrol cars uh, and some fixed site locations, and so when those vehicles go through, it sends the alert out to the officer or the deputy. Yeah, um, and so that helps on recovery as well. Oftentimes, um, you know, it's someone that 
will steal the car to go to a location and then they leave it at another location basically instead of walking or riding the bus yeah. i'm just going to steal a car so you'll find the car recovered in in that manner yeah interesting well that's uh something that people should uh, probably heed that good advice and lock up your cars and and keep your valuables out of plain sight but um um i want to talk a little bit about drugs uh i think that uh, there are um there's a strong correlation between drug activity and criminal activity sure. uh, in our community. Um, what percentage of criminal activity typically uh, has drugs as one of the common denominators? Um, it would be high. I mean, I'm going to guess uh, 90% and north. Yeah. Um, wow. So, yeah, I mean, a lot. Whether it be... What kind of drugs are we talking about? Uh, you know, a lot of meth. Um, what we call ice anymore. You know, it used to be 15, 20 years ago... We had a lot of labs in Boone County. If you remember, state of Missouri was oh, number yeah. one for a long time. Yeah. But because of the smell when it's co- you know when it's cooked, um, often people associated to like cat urine or pneumonia. There's not as much. We don't. It's been a while since we've recovered a lab. So most of it is coming from Mexico and, and coming up into the community. Um, you know, marijuana is still an issue. Um, but I would say meth is probably the pre- predominant drug. Heroin, you know, which was big down in Jeff City, Cole County years mm-hmm. ago, that's drifted north yep. up into our community as well. So, so um, pardon my ignorance on this, but isn't meth like just very destructive to your body? I mean, is that something that I mean, what, why is why such a prevalence of meth? Inexpensive. So yeah, and you're right. I mean, the chemicals uh, that that make that are horrible for you, mm-hmm. but uh, apparently gives you a high. It's inexpensive to you know to to purchase, and so that's why it's the the prevalent drug. Yeah, and heroin. Uh, you know, you keep uh, reading about um, uh, there was a, a bust recently. I think at a at a local hotel that involved uh, heroin here in Boone County or in Columbia. Um, there is a drug that you can carry. Is it Narcan? Narcan, uh, yes. That uh, helps prevent an overdose. Any experience with that uh, in this market? So we don't carry that at the Boone County Sheriff's Department, and a lot of it is because of the great service that we get from Boone County Fire and our EMS services. Oftentimes for you know a county 684 square miles with the number of people that we have on, you'll have a volunteer firefighter that's going to beat the deputy there right. or EMS. So um, we don't carry it. And then plus, I just feel like you're you're getting into that realm where we're piling more and more on the street-level law enforcement officer. They're already, you know, mental health workers, they're social workers, they're domestic violence counselors, you know, so then now you're going to be adding a medical component. So at this stage, we've left that with our medical personnel um, to carry the Narcan and use it you know, if needed. Yeah. And uh, so the, typically when someone responds to a medical emergency, that that uh, squad or that the truck is going to get there from the fire department before the, the deputy. Arrives. Yeah. Or, you know, volunteers, because they have them all over the county. So, you know, if you're running north, uh, but you're coming from Ashland, you know, you're you're going to be 12, 15 minutes from getting there. So usually someone you know, with volunteer uh, firefighter is going to be in a personal vehicle that, you know, they have their blue lights and all that will be on the scene before we get there. Yeah. Okay. Y- you know, one of the things is speaking of coverage, you know, uh, I remember uh, co-chairing the Prop L, Proposition L uh, law enforcement task force uh, to create a se- dedicated sales tax for law enforcement many years ago. I can't remember the year. Was it 2002? Th- okay. That was a long time ago. Uh, 18 years ago. Um, you and I have had conversations and something that I have frequently worried about and, uh, 
wish we had a, an easy solution is just with the number of deputies that we currently have on the streets. And I, I think that people might be surprised to hear about the coverage. And I don't know how comfortable you are uh, talking about that, but, but talk a little bit about, um, uh, the coverage of, of deputies and, and, you know, bottom line is, do we need more? By all means. Um, I'm not comfortable giving the numbers out. You know, you just don't, you don't want to release, uh, information like that because it gives bad guys, uh, an opportunity yeah, to, to do. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so as you know, and I've mentioned it a ton, and, and obviously we've talked privately, we've talked in commission meetings. Mm-hmm. We have not added a road deputy to the road since Prop L was passed in 2002. Mm-hmm. So you're talking 18 years. And I think many would argue or agree with my argument that there is other than maybe IT and county government, there's no other department that has changed as drastically as law enforcement has over the last 18 years. And so we do a lot with less. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do a lot with less. Um, again, great group of, of folks that go out every day and they're dedicated to, to serving and protecting the citizens. But when you're talking about covering 684 square miles, um, of course, a lot of what we do ventures into the city of Columbia, you know, all civil process. Um, we assist the city when they need assistance, you know, i.e. protest or Fourth uh, of July calls, that kind of thing. So it's a lot to ask of the guys and gals on the road. And I think of the number that I've given you before, which, you know, some might say is inflated. But if we could add 20 positions to our enforcement branch so you know for a full-time 24 7 that's five bodies for that one full-time position So you're basically talking about adding four officers by adding 20 people right so so what we do is we staff heavy on second shift because it's all based on crime analysis and calls for service so most of our calls for service are going to be in that evening time hours so we're we're usually thin on day shift and the reason why we run thin on day shift is we have command staff that's in the office doing their normal duties but if we get big calls we've got cavalry that we can send um midnights run super thin so again covering 684 square miles i'm not going to give you the number but i will tell you it is super thin yeah so again because your calls for service will die down after what we call drunk 30, um, which, you know, that three o'clock range till six, seven in the morning, there's not a whole lot of calls. But I can tell you when I started in the late eighties, we worked midnights by ourselves. So I worked uh third shift from 11 to seven in the morning and I was the only deputy on. Wow. So the problem that you have is when that big call comes out, you know, a domestic that goes south and there's shots fired or whatever, um, you've got to have enough staff to be able to deal with something like that and just patrolling, you know, to make sure that we're getting in the areas that we need to get into. But if, if you're running just with a few people on midnights and they're running from call to call to call, you know, one disturbance after another, um, it's hard to get up into Harrisburg or yeah. north of Hallsville. And so if you added more people, we could be even better at the proactive, which I'm a big fan of, and I talk about it all the time, because I think to be an effective law enforcement agency, you need to be as proactive as you can possibly what be. What does that mean, being proactive? What does that mean? So, you know, if you if you have a string of burglaries, for example, out in the Midway area, if we had the extra bodies, we can do more proactive patrol in yeah. that area. And so um, what we have to do now is 
pay people overtime. So, you know, for instance, like 4th of July, we put 35 extra deputies on Friday night and Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So obviously that comes with a cost, right? Yeah. Most of them are on time and a half. But if you, if you had the proper staffing, you wouldn't have to necessarily have people doing that on their days off um, or paying out those large sums of, of overtime because you would have the proper staffing to do what you needed to mm-hmm. do. Besides drugs and larceny, which we talked about, are there any other trends? Are there? Do you see a resurgence or any kind of uptick in any other kinds of criminal activity that that concern you at this point? I wouldn't say criminal activity, but one of the things that we talk about all the time is we're seeing more and more calls with mental health consumers. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be a suicide call. Um, you know, an individual that's just uncooperative and is, is having some type of episode, uh, then having to deal with, with that. So yeah. obviously we have a crisis intervention team. We started that back, I think, 07, 08, somewhere mm-hmm. like that. So most of our folks are trained in that crisis intervention. Um, but it still, um, takes a lot of, a lot of manpower and we're seeing more and more of that on the, on the street side of things. Yeah. You once told me that the most dangerous call your deputies go on is typically a domestic violence call. Right. Uh, That's where they're most likely to get hurt if they're going to get hurt. Uh, Talk a little bit about that. So the problem that you have, and I think back to an incident that I had down in High Hill Trailer Court way back in the early 90s. So you have the domestic, you know, we try to take at least two deputies to those because you want to separate the parties involved so you can do interviewing. Um, But the problem is when you get ready to go, you know, if you have a primary aggressor, you shall by statute make an arrest. And so all of a sudden you're making an arrest and then the other party isn't overly crazy about the fact that you're making an arrest. They either want to recant the statement um, because possibly it could be the breadwinner of the family. They don't want the uh, embarrassment of going to jail, whatever. Um, but that's when the other party can turn on you and then you're having to deal with that. So, um, yeah, I had uh, not telling stories, but uh, arresting a, a gentleman down in High Hill Trailer Court it would have been early 90s. And um, again, we didn't have a plethora of deputies at the time. So I think I was there by myself, but uh, hit me in the back, you know, with a chair and actually broke the chair because I was trying to handcuff and uh, was getting ready to take um, husband, boyfriend, whatever the case was to jail. So, yeah, potentially dangerous on those. That's why we always at least try to take two to where we can separate the parties. Yeah, that's the voice of uh, Boone County Sheriff Dwayne Carey. We've been talking about uh, uh, crime and other things that are happening here in Boone County. Uh, In the next segment, we're going to talk about uh, something that is very rare in the United States, and that is for a sheriff's department uh, like the Boone County Sheriff's Department to receive accreditation. And uh, our sheriff's department here in Boone County has recently received the Kalia accreditation We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll also talk about some uh, updates over at the jail and how that population is looking. we got a lot of things coming up here on the CEO Roundtable this morning. We are visiting with Boone County Sheriff Dwayne Carey. I'm Fred Perry. You're listening to Hot Talk 93.9 The Evening. Can I still let 
Nice people. Inside Columbia with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9, The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host this morning. Thank you for joining us on this Saturday morning. We appreciate you uh, taking time to tune in. We are uh, continuing our conversation with Boone County Sheriff Dwayne Carey. A very interesting conversation. Uh, we are very blessed uh, to have a, a very talented sheriff here in this community and in this county. And and uh, uh, one of the things that uh, is kind of exciting uh, for Boone County and our Sheriff's Department is this Kalia accreditation. And Dwayne, I'm going to ask you to start off by telling people, what is Kalia? So Kalia is the Commission for accreditation of law enforcement agencies. Um, so let me just tell you the backstory on this. When Ferguson happened, the incident in Ferguson in 2014 with Michael Brown, just kind of looking at the dynamics of the aftermath of that, um, you know, the Highway Patrol, which is a, a national accredited agency through Kalia, uh, St. Louis County also, when they kind of took that over, it started kind of going away. And so I started doing my own research, um, and I, I talked to uh, who is actually our CLIA regional director, uh, our manager is Tim Basinger, and started asking Tim a lot of questions. And so I finally got to a point in my mind where I thought, hey, I'm seeing a trend, and I don't, I don't claim to be a visionary, but I'm seeing a trend, and I think society's going this direction. And what I always tell people is, you know, 25 or 30 years ago when a sheriff said, I've got a really good department, everybody just kind of believed the sheriff, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in today's world, you actually have to have that higher authority to say, yeah, everything that he's saying or she's saying is true. So I presented to my command staff, and I'll be honest with you, they were not crazy about the idea because it's, it's a long journey, a lot of work. Um, but it truly allows you to see where you're good and where you need to improve. Right. And a lot of the stuff, we were already good, but we didn't necessarily have it in policy. We weren't necessarily showing proof that we were doing it that way. And that's kind of what Kalia does. They have a set of standards that they call the gold standards, the national gold standards for law enforcement. And then if you follow those standards and you show proof that you follow those standards, then you're in the best of the best club. Mm-hmm. So we, we began kind of evaluating the whole department. Um, uh, well, I'll say this first. Brian Lear was the poor sap that made the mistake of coming into my office when I requested him to. <laughs> How long has he been with you? Um, he's been with us about 16, 17 years. Yeah. He's a sergeant over the traffic unit at the time. But when I evaluated the staff, I knew that that was a position that we could kind of set aside for a little bit because the patrol sergeants could run the traffic unit. But he's also just an extremely talented guy, a really good writer, uh, you know, very cognitive, uh, methodical in the way he thinks. So I knew that he would do a great job. And of course, when you come in, the sheriff asks you to do this special assignment, you're not going to say no, right? <laughs> so he, he took off on this venture and we, we started evaluating every aspect of the department on the enforcement side. Mm-hmm. So that first year, we kind of looked at where are we good? Where are, are, are we not good at all and where could we improve? So one of the big things was our evidence and not that we were missing evidence, but we had not done an inventory in a long time. Uh, we had not disposed of a lot of evidence that we needed to dispose of. And that's in, co- in coordination with the prosecuting attorney's office and the judges. 
So I then asked about 15 people that I knew that I could count on. Uh, it was the week before the Martin Luther King holiday in January and said, I want to inventory every piece of evidence. I'll be there every day with you. So give, um, give our listeners some perspective. Uh, how many individual pieces of evidence do you think you had in inventory at that Roughly time? about 53,000. 53,000. And, and we are talking about um, uh, inventory that would fill a warehouse. I mean, yeah. right? It's, it's yeah. big. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. A, I mean, yeah. And, and it's just, um, I mean. Yeah. So what we were doing, Fred, is we were actually, you know, because we built that building in 1991. We built the annex, I believe that was in 2009. But we were actually housing evidence in three different locations because the, ori- the original evidence room in the main building was way too small to house everything that we had. So starting on the Martin Luther King holiday, uh, it was, you know, 13, 15 people. We all came in and I'm talking services, employees, command staff. Uh, but everybody got up at five o'clock on Saturday morning. We came in and we worked until noon, started inventory every Saturday, every holiday. As you know, in the county, we get a couple freebies there in February, but every Saturday, every holiday, all the way through the end of March, we inventoried all 53,000 some odd wow. pieces. So once we did that, we quickly realized we've got a lot of evidence that we need to dispose of because we're seeing cases back when I was a sergeant, yep. you know, in the mid-90s. Yep. So I then developed what we called the organizational team, which was headed by the detention director, Keith Hoskins. So I had to pull a command staff out of their normal duties to lead the organizational team. And then we had an evidence custodian because you have to have chain of custody on any evidence assigned to that team with two other people. Then the disposal team was led by the chief deputy of the department that runs the day-to-day operation, Tom Redden, and he ran the disposal. So we worked those in conjunction where we went back and did a complete re-inventory, then separated the disposal from the active evidence. And as you well know, I had worked out, I began working a deal with Taylor Burks that completed with Brianna Lennon Mm -hmm. on taking some of the election warehouse for the new evidence room. So then we started with the new organization and then Redden and his team started disposing of stuff through proper channels. And that took 15 months. So, and I've said this a number of times and I said it on Friday when we were doing the uh, confirmation hearing via zoom is it's probably going to go down as one of the proudest moments of my 31 year career at this point, And hopefully a lot longer of a, a group of people coming together knowing what needs to be done and sacrificing all their free time and everything else to make sure that it got done. And, and that's one of the things the assessors were so impressed with our evidence. Um, so, you know, we had the onsite back in March, right before COVID hit, we were truly blessed because that would have thrown the process way, way behind, but we got them in here right before COVID hit, um, hundred percent rating, uh, confirmation hearing on Friday, uh, went great. Um, and so, so a hundred percent, hundred percent, perfect score. Yeah. So that, um, so July 31st of 2020, we officially became nationally accredited with Kalia. And I'd be remiss if I didn't that's, talk about that's just last week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow, and we put it on our week. Facebook page. Take yeah. a look at it, but, yeah. uh, we won't actually be awarded the official plaque for about six weeks. Kalia will come do that and we'll probably make a little bigger hubbub, you know, about yeah. that once we get the uh, official plaque. But it's also important for people to know that we started Kalia and we got about a year into it. 
And then we started looking at the national accreditation on the jail side, right. which is NIJO, National mm-hmm. Institute of Jail Operations. Again, people thought I was crazy. You're going to try to do two national accreditations at the same time. Yeah. But I felt like we had the group that we could do it. I knew there were some folks in the jail that I could rely on. And so we actually achieved that goal back in August yeah. of last year, 2019. Yeah. So as you kind of uh, alluded to, we're the only sheriff's department in the state of Missouri to have national accreditation on the jail side and the enforcement side. And so I couldn't couldn't be more proud of the department for what we've accomplished over the last number of years. Now, so. on the Nigel thing, I mean, you're you're the first sheriff's department in a big region to get that yeah uh the the eighth circuit of appeals so yeah. you're getting up There's into the dakotas and nebraska yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so it's it's impressive to say the least yeah that's cool that's great what does that mean to the citizens of boone county uh how does that change the interaction that they're going to have uh with a sheriff deputy if, if, if you know god forbid they ever have to have uh an encounter with a sheriff's deputy so it really doesn't change a whole lot on the interaction side so when i was elected back in 04 uh, one of the things that I put into place right away at the beginning of 05 is we're going to treat everyone like we would like our mother to be treated. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, not everybody affords us that opportunity. And not all mothers deserve that. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but um, So we, we've always treated people the way that they should be treated. Yeah. But here's, here's the importance of Nigel and Kalia, is that when people start talking about defunding the police mm-hmm. or police reform, all of that, we are five years out in front of that. We we already have all of that built into our policies, our procedures, and our practices. So if, if they want to question that, you now have that higher authority that, yeah, I mean, we've already taken chokeholds out. We did that, you know, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So because of the national accreditations, you're already doing everything that a lot of people are going to be striving for because now with, with some of the discussion about police reform, they're talking about having to have accreditation in order to get funding from the federal level well we're already there so guess what i have sheriffs calling i have police chiefs calling hey how much did it cost tell me about the process and so it's very nice to be on the end of that versus on the beginning so these two accreditations are are in and i hate to to dumb it down like this but it's sort of the good housekeeping seal of approval where it's saying hey look uh as far as best practices go in running a sheriff's department and running a jail uh these are the best practices and this group passes that test exactly that i mean you're in the best of the best club so um again that's why it's such a big deal and you know i normally like to fly under the radar i don't like to bring a lot of i don't do a lot of you know press conferences and that kind of thing but uh, I'm gonna, you know, I touted, I touted Nigel in 2019, and and as soon as we get Kalia to present that, I'll be, I'll be touting that even more than I am now. But um, because again, it's just a great group effort, and it should really tell people when you're talking about the only sheriff's department out of 114 counties in the state of Missouri to achieve both. I mean, like I said, it, it's impressive, yeah. and it says a lot about the department. I want to talk a little bit about the the George Floyd situation, and and I know that. Uh, uh, Really, within just 48 hours of that that incident in um, uh, Minneapolis, you and the Columbia Police Chief and Doug Schwant, who was the police chief there at MU at the time, uh, the three of you came out immediately and said, this is not the way you do this. Right. This is bad. These are bad actors. These are bad apples. Um, so c- kind of looking at this whole idea of defunding the police from 30,000 feet, you know, sort of take yourself out of the equation. Uh what went wrong? I mean, in terms of, I know it's obvious what went wrong, but why do people so quickly distrust the police? 
Because it's easy, right? I mean, it's an easy profession to armchair a quarterback. And, and I've said this many times. If most people had to do what a street cop has to do every day, uh, they defecate down their leg. I mean, there's scary situations that they have to deal with. So, you know, part of that problem, and I've told people this a lot, and I guess they, I guess the video was like leaked yesterday. I haven't seen it yet, but I had some people commenting on that this morning about the, the entire police video of that incident. But none of that matters because the, the thing about it is once you have an individual controlled, you got to get them off the ground, especially if you have multiple cops there. Yeah. So, you know, for, for, for what we're going to do is once we get an individual handcuffed and under control, doesn't matter how many people that we have there, we're going to get them in the car, get them seat belted in. If we have to tie them in, whatever the case might be, we're going to do that. But you cannot stay on his neck for that period of time. Now, here's the deal, though. And, and I, you know, talking to rotary groups and different groups that I get to talk to, what people have to understand is don't allow that national narrative to come into Columbia Boone County. And I'll speak, especially for our department. Again, we just talked about the Kalia part. But don't allow what's happening in Minneapolis or Atlanta or Seattle, Portland, wherever, to come into our community when we're doing everything the right way. We we don't have those issues with the Boone County Sheriff's Department. I mean, the number of complaints that we get are rare. And I'm not talking about use of force complaints. I'm talking about a deputy going down 63, driving too fast with no lights. I mean, we just don't get a lot of complaints because it goes back to... If you treat everyone like you would like your mother to be treated, it's fail-proof. Yeah. And, and, and my staff knows that I expect that. And if you don't do that, guess what? You don't work for me very long. And there's been many that have found that out. So, you know, it's just having doing the right thing every day really is easy. Um, but I just guard people in this community. Don't let that national narrative come into our community because that's not what's happening here. We're coming up on our final segment of uh, the CEO Roundtable Show. That's the voice of Boone County Sheriff Dwayne Carey. Uh, we've been talking about the CLIA accreditation and just uh, uh, crime stats and crime activity uh, here in Boone County. When we come back for the last segment, I'm going to put the sheriff on the spot and ask him to describe the biggest obstacles right now that uh, to keeping the citizens of Boone County safe. And so we'll continue our conversation with the sheriff coming up here on the CEO Roundtable Show. This is Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. Breaking down what's going on inside Columbia. It's Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host this morning. Good Saturday morning to you all. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're beginning our third segment, final segment with uh, Boone County Sheriff Dwayne Carey. Um, before we get into this, these other questions, I want to just 
get a quick update. I know that the jail has recently been accredited, uh, but uh, give us an update on the jail population. And I know that that was a significant issue with a lot of people during COVID-19. What is the current status of the jail population? So we're not doing too bad. If you remember, in January, we were running about 111 to 114 out of county. We were in 14 different county jails, including Reality House. So we were way, I mean, we were we were plus 300 easily, and we housed 245. So um, what we did is I started working, and I think Kevin Crane, Judge Crane, and Mary Epping, the court administrator, they're rock stars. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we started talking about, you got to give us some help. When COVID hit, we knew our, our biggest goal was to keep it from getting into the jail. So we started doing a variety of different things, testing different stuff on disinfecting. We, we closed down visitation for not only family and friends, but for attorneys and PMP. It was one way in, one way out. Uh, you know, we spent 24 seven disinfecting everything. We wanted to get our numbers down low enough to where we could have a tank that we could keep empty that if we did have a case, we would be able to quarantine. Mm-hmm. So, um, spent a lot of time talking with Scott Clardy. He's been a great, help for me throughout all of this as we've tried to navigate it. Um, but Judge Crane went to work along with the other judges, Mary Epping. They started looking at every individual that we had in custody. Now, the, the thing that people have to realize is some people are just bad, yep. and you can't let them out of jail. Right. I, had a, I had a local activist group that kind of put like an ultimatum on me for about five days that I needed to do mass release and be more transparent, and, and we just can't do it. I mean, you're talking about you know, we house a lot of violent felons. And so the judges did a really good job of evaluating um, our detainees and they released, they started releasing the ones that they could. So we, they got us all the way down to about 170, 273. And we stayed that way for a long time through COVID, which enabled us to have that quarantine tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were able to manage it. Our transport unit then came in to the jail to help out in the jail because we were doing video conferencing. Uh, instead of taking detainees down to court, we were doing those by video. So it provided us more staff to do that. Um, so our numbers now, this morning, we were about 187. Mm. And so, you know, they're starting to kind of go back up a little bit. But the the thing that I noticed, and I get a report early every morning, is that the judges are still doing a bang-up job. You know, if we have 13 new arrests, I'm seeing 17 releases. So that's either through bond or whatever. But they're just doing a really good job of evaluating the type of detainee that we have. And if it's somebody that's violent, I don't want them to look at that because those individuals need to stay in jail. But if it's your second offense DWI, uh, and failure to drive single lane and we can get those individuals ROR'd or, uh, released on a lower bond. I'm perfectly okay with that. But people need to understand that my job as sheriff is protect this community, public safety, and those individuals that need to be locked up in our jail are going to stay locked up in our jail. I think uh, Boone County has long been a model uh, for collaboration between the judicial system and the law enforcement system where uh, there is some coordination. And you try to keep uh, one of the judges used to say, hey, there's people that we're mad at, and then there's people that we're afraid of. Right. And we want to keep the people uh, that we're afraid of locked up. Right. And uh, but uh, so we, we've always sort of uh, had a good collaboration there. But do you think, even with that collaboration, are we going to need a new jail or a larger jail in coming years? Yeah, I mean, I think at some point, And so, again, I talk about this often, and you know this, Fred, but it's cheaper 
to house over in a smaller county than it is to do brick and mortar. I mean, you're you, uh, Green County. You know, they're they're doing a new facility down there, and it, I, the number and don't quote me on this, but it's like 120 million. Yeah, you know, so when you're paying forty dollars a day to house, let's say in Sheraton County. Um, that's cheaper than doing brick and mortar. So we can take, you know, eight or 10 up there. We can take eight or 10 to Cooper County, uh, to Callaway. But the problem that we run into is when you get up to like our January numbers and you're housing in 14 different jails and we're having to drive all the way to Lincoln County to get somebody to go to court. Yeah. That's a two hour drive. Yeah. So then you've got to start evaluating you know, personnel and Sergeant Christy McCaleb, she runs the transport unit. She was having to come in like at back in January at 4.30 or 5 in the morning just to get the run scheduled out. And then you might go to Lincoln County and bring that individual down for court. And guess what? It's continued. Yeah. And now you're going all the way back to Lincoln County. So personnel-wise, it doesn't make sense. But cost-wise, it makes sense to keep this relationship. And you're exactly right. I don't know of another sheriff in the state that has a relationship that I have with Judge Crane and the other judges as far as, and this was started way back, you know, under Ted Bain, uh, and that collaboration has really continued and it works well. So as long as we can control the numbers, I think we push that off for as long as we can. But to answer your question, yes, at some point we're going to have to do it. We have plans already in place, schematic plans, not full-blown plans, um, where the first phase would be tearing down our D pod because it's a one level, uh, housing unit and you could buy yourself, you know, a hundred beds in D pod. Then the next thing would be build a new admin building because the admin portion of our building now, the existing portion, yeah. the existing portion yeah. would be torn to the ground and that would be built up as a super pod. Um, so you would actually separate the operation side by buildings instead of by a door separating them. Yeah, so similar footprint, footprint but you're going up instead Correct. of out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's a, give us a warning on that. How many well, How many years do you think we're looking at here? Oh, I mean, you know, this is nothing but a guess, but I mean, we're we're seven, eight, ten years out because, okay. beca- again, because of the collaboration. If we didn't have the collaboration, yeah. then I think that you're looking at it probably within the next four years. Has COVID-19 changed that collaboration? I mean, I think that it, it seems like we've seen judges relying a lot more on video uh conferencing uh so you know that that transportation back and forth to the jail that's problematic on a lot of levels right uh one it takes a lot of staff and and two it's just dangerous right um so do you see did COVID 19 force us to start using embracing some technology that is going to maybe relieve some of that burden yeah and see and, and this is a card that i've got up my sleeve right now and i i agree with exactly where you're going with that thought is once COVID's done and the technology has worked for us, why do we want to go away from the technology? Yeah. Right? So we have, we're set up in the jail to do the, the video court. Why would we want to go away from that and go back to the old way of transporting, you know, 35 down there on law Monday? Yeah. Why not do it video? So I think as we, as we continue down this path, that's going to be a conversation that I'm going to want to have is, why go back when we've realized this is good, this is good, and this is good? Yeah. Let's keep doing these things. And I think it will help not only on, on staff, um, but just the, the, the sheer presence of having to run them down there. And again, if, if a defendant and their attorney 
Even today, if a defendant attorney wants to be in front of a judge, we make that happen. We're not denying anybody that right. But when there's no request, it makes a lot better sense to do that by video. We did that years ago. Um, with, again, a collaboration effort with MUPC to where we were doing probates via video as well mm. to keep us from having to go over um, and get someone that maybe didn't understand why a deputy was handcuffing them and putting them in the back of a car. And so um, actually, um, Judge Daniels at the time, we, we made that deal happen and we started doing probate uh, by by video and it's worked out splendidly over the last probably eight or ten years. Yeah, you know I think also for for victims of crime uh, to have to be just a few feet away from the perpetrator uh, is really an emotional experience. And I think that sometimes if you can separate the victim and the perpetrator, uh, which this new process does, I think psychologically it's probably better uh, for the process and for the people involved. Well, I mean I think Fred, you know if they're going to go to trial and trials seem to be rare these days. But if you're going to go to trial, you're, you're going to have the individual down there. So a lot of these are, are you know, prelims, arraignments, that type of thing that we're doing on video. But, uh, you know, any any prep, you know, because we've opened the jail back up for attorneys and probation and parole, parole to come see clients and those that are that are being violated on PMP. Um, but now we have attorneys that are coming up to do trial prep. And so when that trial goes, the defendant will go down to the courthouse for that trial. All right. Here's a question I warned you about. Uh, what are the biggest obstacles right now uh, in terms of keeping the citizens of Boone County safe? What, what, what are the things that are getting in your way? Um, the, the big thing right off the top of my head, and I've already touched on it, is not allowing our community to let that national narrative come in to Boone County because it's not that way in Boone County. Um, and so that's going to be the biggest challenge. We don't see a lot of that just in talking with the deputies and, and our leaders on, on patrol. They're not seeing a lot of discontent or anything else. It's just really, it stayed kind of normal for us. We saw a little bit on the 4th of July, uh, just because we had such heavy presence in our county subdivisions. But for the most part, because of the way we treat people, we haven't had that issue, but there's still a small segment of folks that are trying to bring that national narrative in. So the biggest challenge is keep doing what we're doing um, and then stay proactive, right? Because what we've seen across this country, which has just amazed me, is that, and, it, and it's large municipal departments, to where you're going to have, you have a mayor that has never donned a law enforcement uniform dictating how law enforcement's going to do their job. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, with a sheriff, you're you're responding to the registered voters, that's not going to happen with us, but the challenge is to stay proactive, convince the patrol deputies that there is a silent majority out there that like everything that we're doing and, and the small vocal minority, the noise that you hear, don't pay attention to it. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep treating people fairly, but keep being proactive. Keep making car stops. Keep making good criminal cases because that's what the silent majority in this community expect. Yeah. So. We talked about not having enough deputies on the street uh, uh, of Boone County, and we've we've only got a minute and a half here. Um, what needs to happen to get some more deputies on the road to get to get more coverage so that we have faster response times so that people just can sleep better at night? Uh, what what's going to have to happen? Great commissioners <laughs> deciding to 
fund what needs to be funded. Yeah. Um, so where you come up with that money, you know, I don't know. And as you know, I ask for deputies every year. Um, and we've added, you know, an evidence custodian. We've added a position here or there, uh, but not to uh, patrol because the number is much bigger, right? I mean, you, right out of the chute, you know, even if you were going to segment it out, you would need probably eight new positions and again five bodies four to five bodies for each position so that's a lot of people um so you know i think it's committing the the commission uh collaborative working with with me to um come up with a way to be able to find the money or fund it um but just commit to the fact that we need to provide more because what we're doing now is we provide a lot with less, think how good we could be, mm-hmm. and we're good now. Yeah, but think how good we could be if we had the proper staffing. Yeah, it needs to happen. No, yeah. bottom line, it needs to happen. Dwayne Carey, Boone County Sheriff, we appreciate your time today. Thank you uh, so much. Great I appreciate to, it to learn more about your department and, and congratulations on your both your Kalia and your Nigel accreditations. Uh, pretty impressive there. But this is Fred Perry. We'll be back next Saturday morning with the new edition of the CEO Roundtable Show. Until then, enjoy your week, everybody. You are listening to Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. This city is my city, and I love it. Yeah, I love it.